Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Hopefully what you have gained, if nothing else, from these last three weeks and this being our fourth week in Jonah, is that Jonah is the story of God. It is God's calling of Jonah, God's sending of Jonah, God's sending of the storm, God's sending of the fish, God then sending Jonah again to Nineveh, and today we're going to read about God's sending again, Uh, and it is in that of a plant, and then a worm, and in a really hot air that kind of came in and how this impacts Jonah. Jonah 4, it is a very short text, but when we see it in light of all that God has done through uh, Jonah to this point, or and God has done to Jonah to this point, hopefully we'll see how it is all applicable to us. But Jonah... But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Excuse me, I started, uh, let me start back at the end of verse, uh, chapter 3, just so we know where it's at. When God saw this, so if you remember, they, Jonah has now come to Nineveh. He's told the Ninevites the word of God. And it was a very short message. Destruction's coming. They turned. And the very la- they turned from their wicked ways. They turned from all. They turned from their evil ways. And verse ten says this: When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring destruction on them. And now, verse one of chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "This isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home." That is what I tried to before that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat onto a sat at a place east of the city and he made himself a shelter and he sat in his shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Apparently Jonah doesn't know what we already know. He's just worried that's what God's going to do. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah and give it shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy with the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, said Jonah, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it. Or make it grow, sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's how it ends. What an interesting ending to this book. 
So as we talk about that, let, let us just chat real briefly. And when I say briefly, I mean real briefly. I don't want us to get caught up in this, but it's important now. We haven't mentioned it yet, but it's important now for us to talk about Jonah and the literary style in which it was written. And because of some of the comments of uh, places and things that it mentions, it's a very high likelihood that the story of Jonah was passed down orally, which many stories in that time were. In fact, every story in that time really was for a period of time. And that Jonah, well, there's, there's two options, right? Jonah's either history, not meaning that Jonah was a historical person. We're not arguing that. But just that the reason it was written was for history. It was either written to preserve history and tell us this was something that happened. Or what a lot of people think is that it was satirical. That there was these funny stories, there was these obvious kind of things. And, and in satire, a lot of times, the last person laughing is usually the last person to get the point of the story. But there is some funny and humorous parts of Jonah. If you're looking at Jonah, not uh, in such a way where you're compassionate towards him, but like, what are you thinking, man? Like, are you kidding me? And this last chapter is full of it. Especially when it talks about Jonah and, this, and his relationship to this plant. And so there's a lot of people who believe that Jonah was really written a couple hundred years after the actual person of Jonah lived and that, and that the actual person of Jonah just kind of told his story. It was passed down and that, and that maybe the writer who, who actually eventually wrote this down wrote it in such a way as to bring a satirical voice to Jonah's story, not in a way that would uh, diminish what God did through Jonah, but would bring up some of Jonah's stuff to light. And sometimes that bothers us because we feel like, oh, well, if Jonah didn't write this, and then that means the whole Bible's wrong, and that's not true. In fact, we don't get tripped up when Jesus does the same thing, right? Jesus tells stories to make a point. We call them parables, and we feel really good about them. But if we mention this about Job or Jonah, then all of a sudden it throws our whole Bible into like disarray. Many scholars think it was really satirical writing and that it was most probably written a couple hundred years after the actual person of Jonah lived and experienced this and told this story. It was passed down and someone then told Jonah's story, but in a way to bring light, a prophetic voice to Israel through the person of Jonah. And we're going to talk about who that may have been in a, in a little bit, but let's, but let's just kind of start there. So, it's, so we're not arguing that Jonah wasn't a real person, that these things really didn't happen to him. Um, in fact, we, we're kind of pre presupposing they did. I mean, that, some people say that because it's too fanciful to think a fish swallowed a man. And, um, and we dealt with that the first week, if you remember. We, you know, if, you, if we open up this book and try to get truth out of it, we're supposing that there is a God. And if there is a God and we start there, then that guy can do anything that he wants, right? Including sending a fish to swallow a man. And so we're not starting in a place of not believing that. We're actually starting in a place of saying, no, 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 there is a God. He did these things, but maybe through the story of that man, we can learn some things from it. And so it's very highly likely that, and I'll just go ahead and tip our hand, a lot of people think Jeremiah 
actually wrote down Jonah's story eventually in a prophetic way for the people of Israel to hear. In the same way that Jesus then brought up Jonah's story in a way that the people of Israel, specifically the Pharisees of Israel, could hear. And so there's a lot of reason to believe that maybe this last chapter, if not the whole thing, was really satire and saying, hey, do you get the point? Do you see what's happening here? There's this guy who God called, and he ran from God. And guess what? You can't run from God. The earth is full of the glory of God. You can't go anywhere where God is not. You can't do anything that God can't undo. And so God brings a storm. And Jonah says, you're going to throw me overboard. And so God brings a fish. And then God vomits him back on land later once he kind of gets to the point and thanks God for his provision. He never, remember, we brought out, he never even apologized for running. He just thanked God for what he did. God showed, through his grace and mercy, did something. God, through his grace and mercy, then took him to this place that was being very uh, horrible towards Israel. And they turned. The very thing that Jonah, that the Israelites hated the Ninevites for was their evil ways and the barbaric ways in which they treated the Israelites. And now they're not doing it. And what's Jonah's response? He's mad. He's not happy that they turned. Wouldn't you want like your enemies? Well, and this is kind of gets into the satire of it. Wouldn't we want our enemies to turn from what they're doing that makes them our enemies and now become friendly? And what the writers bring out is no, because the human condition is I want them to pay for what they did. That's what Jonah wanted. He's pitching a fit. And so let's get there. Verse 1 through 3 says this in the ESV, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, please take my life from me. I'm so angry that you show grace and mercy to the Ninevites that I just want to die. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Like, is this working out for you to be angry for them? They repented of this violence, the violence that they had shown to Israel. And Jonah was mad. Do you see the satirical writing in this? Surely none of us would ever do that, right? Jonah believes that God, he believes the right things about God, right? He believes that God is full of grace, full of mercy. He says, I know this about you. Why would you not want your enemies to know that? Now remember, the last one to quit laughing at satire is usually the last one to get it. But that is true of me, at least. And it's true of us as people. I'm not necessarily saying you, you may be better than me when it comes to this. But I don't always want my enemies to get the grace and mercy that I received and to be turned from their evil ways. I want them to turn from their evil ways because they got the whip cracked on their back. They got the punishment they were due. They got theirs. Have you ever been in this situation with Jonah? You don't have to tell me yes or no. 
But just think, have you ever been in a situation where Jonah's in, where now you've got this anger eating inside of you? And someone has already repented, already relented of what they were doing, already kind of turned, and yet you still got this kind of anger eating inside of you, and now it's destroying you. And, and God's given this person freedom. You may have never experienced that. I have. I mean, I don't really know if they repented, but I do know that they were living their life in such a way that made, made it obvious to me that they had no clue what it did to me, right? What it you know, how it hurt me or whatever. And it just made me even more angry. It's like, God, why are they happy? You're supposed to be making them sad. You're supposed to be paying them back. You're supposed to have boils all over their body or whatever it is that you do. And he doesn't. And I'm like, what in the world? That is not fair. I'm the one over here angry. And God's like, I'm trying to give you freedom. You don't have to be angry. It's all. It's... And this is the story of Jonah. And so what does Jonah do? He goes up on a hill. He's already acknowledged who God was. He's already said, God, I know this about you. I know this is who you are. It's, what, it's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. But I'm still going to go up on a hill hoping that maybe you'll do what I want you to do. So he goes up on a hill to see what will happen to the city. And it says that God made this plant come up overnight to shield Jonah from the hot sun. Jonah's sitting there in his anger, wanting to die. And what does God do? He shows mercy to Jonah again. And he causes this plant to grow up over Jonah's head. But the interesting thing is that God then makes a worm to come up and eat the plant before the next day really gets started. And then on top of that, he makes this scorch. It says that God made a scorching wind come in. You see how the story is really about what God is doing? Everything God is doing? He made a scorching wind, and Jonah gets so mad that he wishes he was dead. And God's words said this to Jonah. Jonah says, better for me to die after this plant went away in verse 8. But God said to Jonah, do you be well to be angry for the plant? That there was this idea that here's this guy who had no emotional attachment to this plant. He did nothing for this plant. It just came up. He was appreciative of it. It died, and now he's so angry. And God said, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then the last, and this is like we can kind of hear Jesus saying this, because he did this a lot with the Pharisees, right, as he's telling these parables. He said, let's look at this in an interesting way. You have more care and concern for this plant that you did nothing for, that does not have a soul, that doesn't exist for any other reason than because I was good and I made it exist for you. You care more about that than you do about an entire city full of more than 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right. They're spiritually blind. And he brings up the animals too. As a, as a way to say, like, this was a very wealthy city, but also as a way to say, I care about it all. And the only thing you care about, Jonah, is this plant. And that can, and remember, when we talked about the first week, is like what the prophet, this prophetic word that was coming through the life of Jonah was for Jonah, but it was also kind of a word for Israel, and it was also 
by extension the word to us? Do we care more about the things that God has done for us that make life good for us than we do about the city? James mentioned in a prayer this morning, and I really didn't connect that dot until this moment, but it can be true. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but it can be true for us. I've certainly been in places where it is, where people get so caught up and so appreciative of the leaf that God grew over, their, over them in, in, in the form of a comfortable church that provided all their needs. They cared more about that than they did about the world that was dying around them. That there can be a nation of a majority, I don't know if that's true anymore, but maybe it still is, a majority of Christian people, or at least people who claim to have that belief, that can get so comfortable in the leaf of the freedom of a country that they were given, and appreciative for sure, but can like worship that leaf more and care more about that than a world that is suffering around them. That we can care more about the leaf that God gave us of a, of a family that loves us this morning Yesterday, I was at the skating rink because that's what a nine-year-old wants to do on their birthday is go to a skating rink. My feet are hurting this morning. I have like a constant cramp right now in the arch of my foot because I have a nine-year-old who wants to go to the skating rink. But there was these kids there, and I was just respecting. I said, hey, James, I met uh, some of your future students because they were not um, respectful. In fact, one of them was very disrespectful and the person at the skating rink told us that he had been kicked out a few times and that he actually was just now able to come back after a recent point where he kicked out. And James said, oh, that's uh, And he calls the guy's name. He's like, yeah, he's been in my school each of the last two years and he's been suspended from it. He tells me about this kid's story life. I mean, home life is not fantastic. And I can sometimes get so comfortable with the the leafy shade that God has provided me in a great family. And my mom and dad came over and I had great parents. And I hope my kids say that about me when they get older. That I can like put what should be right for me onto everybody else even when they didn't have that. And we can get comfortable. And so the word, the prophetic word of God is coming saying, you care more about this leaf that you did nothing for than you do about this entire city. Jonah, what is wrong with you? Should I care is how it ends. God says, should I not care for this city? And what's the obvious answer? It ends with a question. What's the obvious answer? Yes, you should. But if we make that extension, yes, we, we should, or you know, Jonah, Jonah should in the story, but by extension that is for Israel, and by extension is for us. And what's true a lot of people believe, and I, and I want them, that Jonah was likely written during the exile as a prophetic word to the, to, the, to, the, to the Israelite community that was sent into exile. And the story of the Bible is a story of God's constant pursuit of his people, but he called them to be what? Set apart, right? I mean, Jesus says it in Matthew 5. You, you're to be a city on a hill. You'll be a light of the world. He says it in different forms to the Israelite people, especially as he's forming them through the patriarchs, through Abraham. Hey, you're going to be set apart. You're going to be different. You're going to be the peculiar people. You're going to be the people that, is, that are different. James tells stories of reading in Joshua and how the, they just knew. Like they, there was this group of people walking. And they likely knew about who these people were, 
walking in, in, in the exile, and then as it gets into the story of Joshua and how God worked through the life and, and times of Joshua, which I believe we're going to get to at some point this year but uh, as a church, but there was this known thing about Yahweh. It wasn't a mystery. that They were called to be set apart. They were called to be different. They were called to be a light to the pagans. And now here they are in exile, surrounded by the Babylonians, surrounded by their mortal enemies, and God's calling them to do the same thing. You're to be a light. Think about Daniel, right? Daniel was pulled into this exile. And he says, no, no, no. We're going to eat the food that our God told us to eat. Trust me, it's going to work out good. And what did God do? He showed himself to those guys who were even stronger. He showed himself in the fire, in the fiery furnace. He showed himself in the lion's den. He showed, and then we get into the, to the apocalyptic stuff, which is he shows himself there too, but it's kind of a more interesting part of Daniel. But, but we can think about that and say, yes, that is right. That is good. Daniel was that thing. That's what God was calling the whole city to. I mean, the whole community to was to this. That's what God's calling us to. They were surrounded by a world in exile, and the quest, the prophetic word that comes to them through, the, through this writing of Jonah says, should I not care? Now, we mentioned this was likely written in the exile. and There's a lot of people who think, because the themes match a lot, that Jeremiah was the guy who wrote, who actually wrote down the story of the person of Jonah. And you likely know at least one chapter of Jeremiah, probably Jeremiah 29. And we're going to read just a piece of that, right? Because these people have been sitting to exile. And they're wondering, what in the world should we do? And they finally get a letter from the prophet, this guy who likely also wrote this book of Jonah. And I just want to read Jeremiah 4. I mean, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Just, just four quick verses. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into Babylon. Catch that, that God carried into Babylon, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That there was this idea that God cares so much about all parts of this, that he was willing to let the people go into exile? No, the prophet wrote that the word that came from the Lord said, into the city I carried you in. This was God's sending of his people into Babylon for a purpose. And what did he lay out there? Seek the prosperity of the city, because when it prospers, you prosper. And guess what? When you prosper, people are going to want to know what in the world is going on. I'm able to do this work, right? Jonah only said four Hebrew words. We, ours is a little bit longer, but basically calamity is coming in 40 days if you don't turn. Pretty simple. Pretty ineffective if we're going to judge it. And what did God do? He does what a lot of people think was the biggest revival in human history. That close to a million people potentially turned their times. Well, you know, historians say... I don't think they did an altar call or a head count. But there was this turning of an entire pagan city to God. And Jonah ends up getting mad about it. 
There are churches that would celebrate. There are, there are evangelists that was there, are missionaries that would like they're praying for that to happen. And Jonah's ticked. And God's saying, shouldn't I care about all this too? And the answer is yes. The interesting thing about it that we don't get in this story, so there's a couple things as we wrap up Jonah. What should we get out of it? First off, if we look at this whole story, there's no links to which God will not go to to get our attention. He called Jonah out. It was a hard word. said, go. Obviously, he didn't want to go. So he sends this storm. He sends calamity, right? And then he sends provision, not in the way Jonah wanted it, but it, it worked. It was a fish. And then he sends him again. And so he goes. And so at times, God sends really good things to Jonah, like the fish that saved him from drowning. Like the leafy plant that grew up, other times he brings like not so good things on Jonah and he's trying to get his attention. There's no links at which God will not go to get our attention. God did this not only to save Nineveh, but also to save Jonah from himself. And by extension, the Israels, the Israelite people, the Hebrews. And by extension, us, to save us from our own self-righteousness. But the second thing is, and this doesn't come out so well in the English, but if you were able to read it in the Hebrew, which I am not, thank good Lord for commentaries. Although I did do better in Hebrew than I did in Greek when I took those, but I don't remember it. But there is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is ra'ach. And it is most kind of loosely, it's got a really kind of large range of words it can mean as other languages typically have. We have a lot of words in the English language and there's other languages that typically have like one or two words that that can mean a lot more than ours. And um, that is this word. And so there's times that it's translated as evil and there's times that it's translated as like... um, uncomfort or despair or whatever. And so if you were able to read it in Hebrew, you would pick up on it a lot quicker than we do. But let's just go back real quick. From Jonah 1. I'm going to have to read this one because I don't have the whole thing in there. But Jonah 1, it says that uh, the evil from the Ninevites had come up to God's ear. That is Ra'ah, Right? I'm not going to be able to grab it that quickly. All right. I'll tell you the story. We're not going to read it each one individually. Like this, Ra'ah came up to God. And so God sent Jonah. And then God sent what? Onto the sea. The storm. Because of Jonah's Ra'ah. Right? And then in chapter 3, Jonah calls him to repent of that same thing. And the king says, let's do it. So it uses it again. And then in chapter 4, it said, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. That he saw God's provision as ra'ach. And then it says that God caused 
this leaf to grow up, that Jonah had this ra'ah within him because of God's unbounded grace. And he wanted to die. And so this leaf grows up over him. And then the east winds come. And it's this thing where God sent Jonah because of the ra'ah of Nineveh. But then the ra'ah came on the seas because of Jonah. And the king said, let's turn from our ra'ah. And then Jonah gets ra'ah within him because of what God has done. And God has sent his plant and says, now I'm going to save you from your own ra'ah. But there's this idea that we can bring this same thing within us that God is trying to remove from someone else. That God was trying to remove from an entire city, which is why he sent Jonah. Now resides within Jonah, and God is trying to save him from that as well. Not only does God want to call the Ninevites to that, but God wants to call Jonah away from his own Ra'ah. And that's what God is calling for us to do as well. God was saving Jonah from himself. This as God brought this story up to the, to the Pharisees, God was trying to save the Pharisees from themselves. God is trying to do the same for us because we really love ourselves and we want what's best for us first. And that isn't the story of the church. That isn't the story of the people of God. God is actually saying, no, 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 I'm trying to save you from this to change you. Not only to change the people, but also to change you. Sinclair Ferguson uh, wrote this book on Jonah, and, he, and there's this quote in there. And he said, this was a devastating critique of Jonah's spiritual condition, but it raises an issue no less disturbing about our own lives as Christians. Could the same be said of us? Do we care more about the items of our gardens, the produce of our fields, or perhaps the contents of our garage or a home than we do about our fellow man? Do we care in the last analysis about our own comforts and plans than about the evangelism of the world in our time? The statistics of our giving, our praying, our going, and the cause of Christ throughout the earth provide an embarrassing reading to the church. They raise very real questions about whether we have begun to rid ourselves of the Jonah syndrome. And this resides in each of us, and God is calling us away from that constantly say, I want to save you from that, and I'm just as gracious to you as I am to the Ninevites as I was to Jonah. And God is calling us to see the selfishness that kind of resides in us. Just a quick story. I mentioned we were in Nicaragua because I struggle to believe this. Like Jonah, I don't struggle to believe the truth about God. Like I believe God is good and merciful and compassionate, caring, and I love it when he's that way towards me. But I don't always want it to be true for everybody else, if I'm being honest. When we were in Nicaragua, people opened up their home to us, handed us the keys to their cars. One family basically realized we were about to be kicked out of the house we were in, not because we were rowdy, but because they had already promised it to someone else before we kind of came into the picture and they couldn't, we basically were double booked. And so we were going to have to find something for about a week and a half. 
And we're in a, here we are in a third world country. We don't have anything. And this family could just introduce this lady while we're walking circles around this neighborhood. She introduced herself to us. Her name was Anne. And she said, hey, we're going to be gone for three weeks. We're just got a new puppy. If you take care of him, you can just stay in our house. They literally had never met us before. And two days later, we're living in their house. And they're nowhere to be seen for three weeks. Like, that's crazy, right? But we love, we love that. And it was such a blessing to us. Nally and I, as we were talking, we pushing Jude in a stroller, and we're talking. We talked about, man, how great this is. And we wanted to bring this kind of thing back to uh, where we lived and kind of make this to be true. And what's the first thing that we did, or Fryer did? I'm going to, it wasn't Natalie, actually. It was Fryer. Grandkid, right? What did I want? I wanted a couple weeks in my house by myself. I've been in a third world country for three weeks. So you're kidding me? Now I've got to open up my home to some people and let them invade it and, and disrupt my life. And I just want it to be normal. <laughs> the leafy plant is over my head. God provided something that I didn't deserve. And yet here I am trying to withhold the exact same thing from parents and grand, from grandparents and nieces and I mean cousins and aunts and uncles who want to meet Jude for the first time. And I'm like, nah, man. I just need some normalcy in my life. I just need to, like we're so quick. I am so quick to just see myself and God is trying to save Friar from his rah. Not just so that God can then live his life through me and show himself to be gracious through me to other people, but so that God can save me too. And he does that to us. God shows us over and over and over and over again his slowness to anger. God wasn't mad at me. He didn't send calamity. He did send conviction. I confessed pretty quickly after that. I realized how selfish I was. It did not go away. I still felt that. But I tried a little harder, I guess. Uh, and I think that's kind of where, what God is calling us as a church to, us individually to, God sometimes is bringing the storm to kind of say, hey, you got this raw. Sometimes God's giving us graciousness. Saying, hey, even in the midst of your raw, I love you and I want to make you comfortable and I want you to see my goodness. There's no links that God will not go to to get our attention, to show us he loves us. And he does that for us and he does that for other people. And so we're going to pray as we move away from Jonah. Pray that we would see um, God's goodness in our lives for what it is, not for something that we're owed, but for something that God is just gracious and just unrelenting with. And my prayer for me is that I would see it more readily so that I could be obedient to it more easily because I blind myself to it a lot. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have given us more than we need. And God, forgive us when we want to withhold the same thing you've given us from other people. God, sometimes you've given us time and resources and we don't want to be generous with them because it just disrupts us in some way. Or you've given us provision and we don't want to share provision with others. Or you've given us love and we don't want to share love. Or you've given us your son and provide us with his covering of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we don't ever want to be that gracious. But God, through your Holy Spirit, 
you convict us and you move us. We pray that does not stop. We pray that we are able to see it for what it is. God, when you're getting our attention, would we be quick to listen? And God, when we don't, we are so thankful that you're slow to anger, that you're patient with us, that you're merciful for us, that you're gracious to us, that you cover over our mistakes. And God, we're thankful that you use us. So God, this morning we pray that you would make the next steps for our lives obvious, that we would be obedient. But God, we're thankful that those times we're not, that you're gracious. Let us not withhold that from others, we pray. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.